Hello, this is Lauren back with Erin, my sister, for part two of my comparative religion final project. Today's podcast is on Buddhism and an introduction to Buddhism for Erin. Erin, do you want to say hi? Hello. <laughs> uh, just a disclaimer before we start. This podcast has been created as part of a semester final project and is meant to teach the basics of Buddhism to those curious about the religion. This podcast is purely for educational purposes meant to inform and enlighten those with no previous knowledge about Buddhism. The key information to us to spread cultural awareness and promote respect. So that being said, let's get into a little bit about Buddhism. So Buddhism is a religion that came out of Hinduism. So it's kind of similar to how Catholicism originated from Judaism. And it was founded about 2,500 years ago in India. So also, if you remember about um, Hinduism, it also is a world religion mainly in India. Um, It has about 470 million followers worldwide, most being in East and Southeast Asia. But it's really a religion that's spreading around the world, and I've definitely seen yeah. a lot more prevalence in America. Yeah, in America and in the West, and just learning about it. A lot of the ideals of meditation and different things that I'll talk about are definitely growing in the West, which is very interesting. Um, some just general things about Buddhism belief: they don't really acknowledge a supreme god or deity, and they mostly focus on achieving enlightenment through inner peace and wisdom um to experience and reach nirvana that's the whole purpose of the religion to reach nirvana which is also similar to hinduism um and it's not really a organized religion but it's more a way of life and the way of life is mostly um centered around achieving salvation through the mind or um like meditation so how catholicism is a very structured like hierarchy hierarchical religion in a lot of ways in the vatican and um all the different priesthoods and everything hinduism i mean buddhism doesn't really have that it's more just a way of life in a lot of ways and there's actually three different wraps of buddhism which we'll talk about later but it's kind of three different ways of life within the buddhist religion but they still have chapels and stuff right um i don't know about chapels but places of worship isn't that a place by um like Stater Brothers and Rao. <laughs> or not Rao, Starbucks. No, I think that's a Muslim church. Oh, yeah. Never mind. But anyway, so Buddhism, a lot of it is really um, meditative. So when we were learning about it, I really admired um, the focus on like meditating and looking inwards, especially today. I mean, society, especially in America right now, is so distracted and people are just go, 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 or any free time is spent looking at your phone like there's no there's not that peace and that um, focus on meditation and I think that's a really beautiful part of this religion is that such a big part of it is I mean they think they believe that salvation is one through the mind so looking inwards and meditating um, is super important I think that's a very beautiful thing and um, pretty much the big part of Buddhist philosophy is to live means to suffer so um yeah so the big question is like how do buddhists become something more than just a human being to escape suffering if being a human in life is just full of suffering that's sad yeah i'm definitely is in contrast to catholicism in some ways but similar 
I mean, Catholics, we believe that. And we're all marked by original sin, and we're all um, living in a state of conspicuance, and we have our weaknesses, but we... What's conspicuance? Can, it's the... Um, it's just knowing that we're all marked by sin. Oh. Like, the, the tendency to sin. Um, so, but we, as Catholics, we believe that that weakness, like, is made strong in Christ. But in the Buddhist religion, it's about looking inwards and meditating to become something more and to reach nirvana. So, um, founder. So, the Buddhist religion, I'm sure you've heard of the Buddha. The, the question, like, the, yeah, exactly, that, that pose that Aaron just did <laughs> is um, definitely characteristic to the Buddha. But the founder of Buddhism is actually it's a pretty interesting story. So his name was Siddhartha Gautama, and he was born around 563 BC. So before Christ. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Mr. Sixto, when we were talking about um, Siddhartha in class, a lot of um, the Buddhist writings and stuff or the, um, their stories are, is a lot of, like, fact versus legend. So in a lot of ways, like, like, Jesus connection, like, we, from the Bible, um, like, we believe it to be fact, but some things have that little, like, legend aspect to it, you know? So a lot of Siddhartha's story, or Gautama's story, is very similar. So he was born, um, in the warrior class in India, the Kishraya, Kishraya class, <laughs> which is high up in Indian society. If you remember from Hinduism, do you remember how I was telling you about like the castes or what we learned in like sixth grade religion? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the warrior class, and his father was actually a ruler of a small region in northern India. So they had a lot of wealth, and he was born into very privileged life, definitely in India. And Buddhist belief holds that he was destined to become a universal king, or the Buddha, which is an awakened one that would offer the world salvation. And there's this whole legend that, like, he came out of his mother's side and strode seven (laughs) paces and declared he would gain enlightenment. That's Um, so weird. Yeah, so, but, like, kind of, I mean, Jesus, like, Catholics, we believe that he's destined, he's a son of God, he's destined to save us from our sins and open the gates of heaven, you know? But for Buddhist, Gautama um, is the same sort of savior figure. And um, we were talking about, like, his early life, and Mr. Sixta made the analogy that he kind of, like, grew up in a luxury quarantine. Like, his whole life was a oh. quarantine. Why? Um, just he was very sheltered. Um, they were rich, and he just they had everything the family needed. He had everything he needed, so he had no reason to go out into society. That's just. Sad. Yeah, he just lived his life um, in quarantine, basically, in a very sheltered way. Um, but then he made, he like left the palace or left their home and had this whole, whole journey, whole experience, which began with the four passing sights. So the first sight, um, he saw an old man and it hit him that in the countryside, he saw this old man and he was like, wow, like, I'm old age is a thing. <laughs> like, I'm going to get old. And he'd never really seen old age before, so um, it was just an eye-opening experience for him. Like, this fate is in store for everyone. The, um, like, you're going to become old to live in, to keep living is to age. And then the second sight was a um, person who was 
very ill. So for him, he hadn't experienced illness before. So it was, wow, like, illness exists. <laughs> he sounds really smart. <laughs> well, a diseased man exists. So um, it really disturbed him. And he really started to question, like, how can people enjoy life when disease threatens? And I feel like that's, uh, oh, like, geez. such a relevant question today. Obviously, because it's kind of, when I mean, you go out of quarantine and, I mean, most of all... Most of all of our lives, minus these past nine months, have been, you know, you kind of disease is always there, sickness is always there, but the but you ignore it. Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, you take precautions, but um, you it was never really a question that for a lot of people, at least in our lives, especially um, that to experience things and to go out of the house and to live is more important and valued above the few times you get sick. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's a very privileged state for us to experience. And even now, the ability to go to school, even when COVID does threaten mm-hmm. a lot of us and our families. Um, but for even that experience so many years ago, um, to happen to Guatama, it's very interesting. So first passing site, old age. Second passing site, fact of illness. And the third passing site was the fact of death. He passed a corpse. <laughs> and this was just eye-opening and like heart-wrenching for him because he had never seen a corpse and so it was his first time seeing a dead person he was so devastated um because he learned of death and he kind of asked himself was it not senseless for people to go on to go on living if you just know that death (gasps) is certain (laughs) yeah isn't that so interesting um sad yeah so but for i mean for us I don't really remember, like, the first time I realized, like, oh, I'm going to die one day, you know? No, you don't you just kinda, think you, about it. Yeah. So, I guess to never be met with... Sometimes I think fact. about, like, like I don't know when I'm going to die. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, what year will it be? Like, it's... I'm 17, it's 2020 now. And it's like, also, like, you, I can, like, not to be morbid, but you never... Like, you could die tomorrow, you yeah, could die in, especially like, with in COVID, a year. Who knows? yeah it's the fragility of life but i feel like that's really what all these passing sites taught him but if you are so focused on death then you're just gonna waste life yeah (laughs) deep insight (laughs) minisley okay so anyway so those were the first three sites and then the fourth site was a monk with a shaven head um and basically like the fact of some people withdrawing from the world so this guy, or the man he saw, was an aesthetic, which, as, as, why can't I pronounce this word? Um, basically, a man who had chosen to live like a homeless lifestyle, like of, austerity. Um, yeah, kind of like just a life of self denial. Like you just, it's like to the brink of like you people would starve themselves, um, and just deny every like denying all the pleasures and all the sensual things of the world and to never indulge in that kind of lifestyle so for um, Gautama who had just experienced like I'm gonna get old one day I'm gonna get sick and I might die um for him he was like wow like this this man like gives me hope like here's a means of overcoming this despair um so those were the four passing sites and eventually um, Gautama decided to give up his life as a prince 
at 29 years old and left his family and palace by horseback at night. Um, he took off all of his elaborate jewelry and all the things that showed his wealth and privilege and he dismissed all his servants and um, gave a message to his dad, the king, that he had not left out of resentment or anything, but he just wanted to put an, old, an end to old age and death. So that's called the great going forth. <laughs> he just had this experience with the four passing sites and said, like, I need to do something about this and I need to kind of discover some deeper meaning than his, <laughs> his quarantine for <laughs> the majority of his early life. Um, so in this great going forth, he came upon, uh, other mendicants, which, um, more people who practice self-denial, um, and they taught him their versions of meditation and everything, um, but he wasn't satisfied, so then he went to another group of mendicants who practiced, um, very, like, radical aestheticism to, which, again, like, that very dramatic self-denial to win salvation and in the great going forth he like fasted and he really excelled in fasting um to the point where he would almost starve himself and he believed that this like reduction of your body and um everything would in um increase his spiritual powers so he diminished himself to skin and bones which definitely very interesting like the i guess even when you kind of like get here in our life like when you get upset with the material world or um just like kind of question like i know there's something deeper and we turn to our faith and that's what he was doing in the way here too um so great going forth he was living this life of starvation of self-denial and he eventually um realized he was like this is not like this is not doing it for me like he's he's it's not the way to salvation so he accepted finally a simple meal of just rice and milk and eventually gained enough strength to proceed on his quest to end old age and death and suffering and um because of that the five people he met were um disgusted with him that he would make that choice not to starve himself anymore so um he they left him and then he really um, went on this like discovery of the middle way, which the middle way is actually very interesting to me. Um, and I thought like when I think of middle way, you think of moderation, you know, which is just like you the do. Middle way. Yeah, like when we think of food, like especially Thanksgiving, <laughs> like stuffing yourself and having dessert and um, like really indulging in food is like sometimes okay but just not always okay like that's moderation but the middle way is not moderation it's just saying like like it's a constant way of life where you're like you don't starve yourself but you also don't indulge it's just like a constant in between I kind of thought of this like Mm -hmm. definitely my schoolwork goes in I would try to live like a middle way where you reject like not doing homework never at all but also reject the all-nighters and staying up late and just constantly like keeping a steady stream of homework and getting your work done so I feel like we do an okay (laughs) job at that yeah we're definitely learning it's gotten better um so basically this discovery of the middle way is definitely a big practice um and teaching of buddhism but it's just it's a way of life that 
depends that the, like your healthy spiritual life depends on a healthy physical life. So it rejects indulgence and bodily pre- pleasure, but it doesn't reject the body itself. I think that's a really, um, really nice, good way to live. And it's super important today that definitely in just in simple terms, like like things when I take care of my body and I work out or eat well, like my spiritual life is so much better because you just feel so much better and both complement each other for sure. Yeah, but I also feel like you don't need, like if you aren't the healthiest person physically, like you can still be a really good spiritual person. Yeah, that's for sure, for sure. But I feel like... Um, and the other way around, you can be like bad yeah. A spiritual life, but be healthy. Yeah, definitely. But when both are working together, then I feel like you get the most out of both. Yeah. Which, and it's definitely, I mean, as Catholics, like, it's important to take care of your body because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. So our priest, when we were in second grade, learning about our first communion, used to call all the second graders walking tabernacles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but anyway, so four passing sites, great going forth, and then he discovered this middle way, um, which eventually led him to become the enlightened one, which is, this was like his dramatic event of overcoming distractions of fear and passion, um, and now he really focused his attention inwards into a meditative trance, and he ascended through levels of awareness until he could perceive with perfect clarity the true nature of the human condition. This is like the, <laughs> this is the like pinnacle of him becoming the Buddha. So um, there's like, there's this night um, that traditionally called the first watch where he perceived his own previous lifetimes because Buddhism, um, like Hinduism, has the belief in incarnation, reincarnation. Um, so he observed his, um, his life forms long passage from rebirth to death to more rebirths and so on and just observed again um like all the suffering like to live is to suffer that whole doctrine so and then during the second watch in the middle of the night in this awakening he acquired the they called the divine eye which is the ability to perceive deaths and rebirths of all living beings so he just had this extraordinary experience experience and um concluded that like the world is not a place of safety and there's not an escape from death anywhere um and then finally how do how do we like know this about him did he write a book i think um a lot of it is either oral tradition or there are there definitely are writings we read some of them in class and um one of the big um big sermons that is written down is the first sermon at deer park which is pretty much like explains buddhism in a nutshell there's there's different writings and and everything like any world religion um not exactly sure what their names are but a lot of it's either through um oral tradition or obviously writings um um so this is the first watch of the night second watch of the divine eye and then third watch he discovered the four noble truths which these are like central um to buddhist teaching and they're the summation of the human condition and what it means to transcend human um, to transcend being human, like I said earlier, like, the question of Buddhism, like, what can I, like, how, how do you become something more than human to escape suffering, so, um, basically, the four noble truths, they're, um, the, like, through the, through discovering these, he attained enlightenment, 
which is spiritual fulfillment in his life. And thus he had won salvation. So becoming the awakened one, like he won salvation. So he became the Buddha. Um, which isn't that so interesting? Like the just this dramatic experience, like becoming the enlightened one into like it's, it's almost like for Buddhists like experiencing heaven on earth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Kinda confused. Yeah, yeah, it is it is confusing. There's a lot for sure. But um anyway, so that's um Gautama's story, the Buddha story. So that's again the founder of the Buddhist religion. And everything um, that Buddhism is now has pretty much stemmed off of Four Noble Truths and his teachings. So, um, so the major beliefs of Buddhism, there's many, but um, I'm going to go over about eight here. So one, the middle way, which we already talked about, not moderation, but it's rejecting um, like asceticism and then at the same time rejecting indulgence. So it's just constantly um, like knowing that you're bodily health and your spiritual health are interconnected and just living in that middle way and then two karma karma the next three are karma samsara and nirvana which are all very similar to wait wait so can they still do thanksgiving thanksgiving is an american holiday but like i'm sure there's buddhists in america oh well i'm sure um i'm not sure i'm probably depends on the it's kind of indulgent. Yeah, but you can have a nice meal without indulging. Mm, well, I'm thinking. <laughs> um, okay, anyway. Karma, samsara, and nirvana. So karma is, um, again, moral law of cause and effects of actions, and it determines the nature of one's reincarnation. And I believe, it said somewhere in our textbook that I was reading that, like, for religious scholars or for people skeptic of religion, like, the doctrine of um karma and reincarnation like it it makes the most sense to a lot of people you know like what you do and how you act and your morals directly um correlates to like your rebirth in the next life which definitely makes does make a lot of sense um and then samsara is the wheel of rebirth of reincarnation um which that which buddhist believes like it's just a whole wheel of suffering basically like no matter how you're reincarnated um to live is to suffer and then nirvana is the escape from samsara which is just the um it's the ultimate goal of all buddhists and it's liberation and um the extinction of desire and any sense of individual selfhood so the getting rid of selfishness and just living in um the most liberated way you can just existing not suffering um, Buddhists also believe in the three marks of existence, which are, um, pretty much three marks that summarize the changing nature of reality. And I, these are probably, two of these are very confusing, and, um, Mr. Sixta kind of explained them, like, with this door analogy. But, anyway, so the first one is anatta, which is no self. So, Buddhists believe that there's ultimately no, ult- no ultimate reality within. What?! Um, yeah. I thought the whole point was, like, to be at peace with yourself. Uh, yeah, honestly, I'm not exactly sure how this, like, works with reincarnation and everything. Um, but Mr. Sixta explained um, this. And then the second mark of his existence, uh, anika, which is impermanence. So you have no self and impermanence. That, like, when you walk through a door, 
um, the person you are walking through it versus the person you were before. Like, you're not the same person. Like, there's constantly this impermanence. Like, you're never your same self. It's honestly, it's very confusing to me. And I don't, I don't understand how, like, like, what about all your past experiences and your memories? And I feel like such a big part of Western culture, um, and just, like, like, ideas here is that, like, you are, your background, your culture, your identity is built based on your experiences and, um, where you come from and each person has a unique perspective to bring to, um, yeah, like, bring to the table because everyone's so shaped who you are. Exactly. But, um, I'm not sure if that is something that can complement or it can be part of Buddhism, but, um, I think it can because, like, just because you're impermanent doesn't mean that, like, your past experiences don't shape you. Yeah, that's true. And it's really just, just, like, always changing. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. That The idea is that your existence is just constantly changing, which is true, too. Like, I, every, every moment, you're a second older, you're mm-hmm. learning from everything, so, I don't know. Um, so Anada, Anika, and then the third mark of his ex- existence, which I've talked a lot about already, um, Dukkha, which is suffering. So it's a natural result of the first two, and it's just that um, insight that suffering is just part of the human condition. Again, to live is to suffer. Um, more major beliefs of Buddhists, they have the three jewels, um, which are the Buddha, dharma which is the buddhist teachings and if you remember from hinduism dharma was basically like moral ethics and morals but in buddhism it's the buddhist teaching and then finally the sangha which is the buddhist monastic community and the big concept of like taking refuge um in buddhism is repeating a ritual formula three times which is like an individual acknowledging the authority of the three jewels um, and really it just, like, indicates that they're a committed Buddhist to, like, putting, um, I don't know if you could say putting their faith or, like, they're, they call it taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So I thought those were very interesting. And then, um, more teachings, which I talked about a little bit earlier, the, in the, when Buddha, when Gautama became the, um, awakened one he discovered the four noble truths and these are really the central teachings of buddhism and the solution to the noble eightfold path so the four teachings are one dukkha which again is to live is to experience suffering and things are not as they should be and life needs repair two tana um, which means that suffering is caused by desire and it, it's really a focus on selfish desire like being um um too individual too selfish and individual attachment um and all that like your suffering is caused by the selfishness which i think is very true like a lot of people um like when you focus too much i think it's a balance um and buddhism is a lot of focus on um inward meditation but being able to meditate and and look at yourself inwardly without being selfish you know like, a big part of Catholic teaching, big, I would say, moral teaching is that, like, you can find happiness by giving yourself to others. Yeah. And being charitable and serving others. Um, and when you're selfish, then that's, um, 
when you have like selfish desires, those can really distract from that. Anyway, so one dukkha, two tanha, uh, three. That, this was like pretty much like the core of his discovery is that suffering can be bought, brought to cessation. So suffering can stop, um, and Buddhists can how um, through the inward meditation and walking on yourself, following the middle way, and but I thought there was no self. <laughs> that's that's confusing that's a confusing <laughs> part um um so basically and you I mean you talk to a lot of buddhists i'm sure and they find a lot of joy by practicing their religion and that's a beautiful thing too um and it's more of like a suffering can be brought to an end is it's not being like the whole idea like to suffering of suffering for buddhism is not that it's not a pessimistic view of the world more like a realistic that's true because everyone has struggles um and but buddha the buddha the whole hope of buddhism is that the buddha believed this disease to suffer can be rooted out from each of us so the fourth noble truth is the solution to suffering which is the noble eightfold path which need leads to nirvana so there's eight steps right views right intentions right speech right conduct right livelihood right effort right mindfulness right meditation um and if you follow all those right views and act in a right way, then you embrace wisdom and morality and concentration, and you can eventually gain nirvana. So, can you gain it in one life? Um, well, I, I'm not sure how that works. I well, actually, well, what do you mean by one life? Like, one lifetime. Oh, well, I mean the reincarnation keeps going, but there are. Um, We'll talk about in the three wraps there are um like but you know how our hats or um bo- bodhisattvas which are people like kind of like saints who like are awakened but they stay on earth to like help others attain enlightenment and like the buddha like he reached nirvana but the whole another whole idea of buddhism is compassion to like stay on earth and to so what teach happens people. when you reach nirvana um it's nirvana it's i i don't know just this I don't know, like your soul, your but there, then there's no self. It's just living in. But there's peace. no like heaven, so you don't die, or um. Well, death, and then you're. It's just like a, an escape from samsara, the will of rebirth. Like you're just not reborn into a human condition to suffer anymore. So where do you go? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you're just working so hard to just disappear. No, that's so sad. It's, it's a very interesting, very interesting belief. But anyway, but while they, while Buddhists are in the wheel of rebirth and to live is to suffer, there's precepts that all Buddhists follow. So there's five precepts for all Buddhists: one, do not take life; two, do not take what is not given; three, do not engage in sensuous misconduct; four, do not use false speech; and five, do not drink intoxicants. Oh. Yeah, um, and then there's an added five in addition to those for monks and nuns, which are do not eat afternoon. <gasps> what? Yeah, <laughs> do not watch dancing or shows. Do not use garlands, perfumes, or ornaments. Do not use a high or soft bed, and do not accept gold or silver. Mm. I feel like you look at a lot of those, and it's really like, um, I don't know if it's saying like a more radical view of the middle way, but. Um, just to live in peace and to um, reject some 
like it's, I guess it goes back to like that desire like selfish desire you know to desire and to suffer you know okay so those are the five precepts and then um buddhism has three wraps which is kind of um three different ways of practicing so there's the theravada the mahayana and the vajranya um so the theravada is the way of the elders way of the elders and it really focuses on teachings and compassion and it emphasizes monastic life and the ideal type is an arhat which is kind of like in catholicism like saints which means worthy one or awakened and it's basically a people who have a transcendent state of enlightenment the second raft mahayana is known as the great vehicle and it focuses mainly on the buddha as a savior and also on wisdom gaining wisdom and it emphasizes the masses so it's the great vehicle it's um emphasizing the masses is, is i think it's the largest um one of the or one of the largest rafts of buddhism um that many um i don't know if you would say common people follow the masses and the ideal type for this raft is the bodhisattvas which are beings who have experienced enlightenment but are motivated by compassion and stop short of entering into nirvana to help others attain it so how do you know when you've reached nirvana when you have like a experience like the buddha i guess when you yeah when you like have seen like your own i mean the buddha saw his own reincarnation and the reincarnation of others and just like the like his eyes were just open to an extraordinary experience i guess um so that's mahayana and then the third third raft vajrana which is to tibetan buddhism um and it's called the vehicle of the diamond and their common beliefs are that adherents can attain nirvana in this lifetime mm. like you're asking and um many of their practices are uh, making mandalas so remember i told you how oh, we yeah. made those sand mandalas in class um which these pe- people are trained for years and um take years just training and then so long making these delicate intricate beautiful pieces of art and then they destroy it um which again just goes That's back so to sad. the yeah um, um goes back to like the impermanence anika you know um, so mandalas and then mudras, mantras, and tantrism. Um, those are practices of that raft of Buddhism. And have you have you heard of the Dalai Lama mm-hmm. or references to it? So this raft believes oh, no, it that is, um, it's the spiritual leader of the raft, and um, they believe that this the Dalai Lama is a reincarnation of the Bodhisattva. Avalonishara, I'm definitely not pronouncing that name right, but um, basically, remember, bodhisattvas are people who have experienced enlightenment, but stay on earth to help others reach nirvana, and that this person is reincarnated in different life forms, um, and so, when, like, when one Dalai Lama dies, then there's signs and, um, like, other prophecies, and at least to the next Dalai Lama, so it's someone that's always hear that um leads the this raft of buddhism so finally um last part of our podcast here about buddhism is the symbols so there's four symbols i will talk about one is a wheel which is um associated with buddha's first sermon at deer park which 
um, we read it in class. It's actually a really beautiful sermon. Um, it just talks a lot about, um, it's just basically the Buddhist teachings and um, all that. And the wheel has eight spokes, which represent the eightfold path, um, like I talked about earlier. And then the second symbol is a lotus, which is like, if you've seen pictures of the Buddha, he's often sitting on a lotus throne. And it's meaningful to Buddhists because um, the lotus, like its roots are in the mud, yet its flowers bloom above water, which is a very, I think, very beautiful imagery. The third is the white elephant, which symbolizes the birth of Siddhartha, the prince. Um, and apparently the prince's mother dreamed that a bright elephant of light like descended upon her. And wow. it was a sign that her son would be great among men and be a savior. And then finally, the Bodhi tree, which I'm sure you've seen pictures of this before. But it's um, supposed to be the the moment when Siddhartha like became the Buddha. He was sitting under the Bodhi tree. And it's just really associated with his enlightenment. So... Learned anything new, Erin? <laughs> yeah. So confused. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's, I wish comparative was a whole year because I feel like there's so much to learn. Um, but I don't know. It's really, I feel like learning about Buddhism, um, after Hinduism, it just like opens your eyes to a whole different way of looking at religion, which is so interesting to be able to still like hold your beliefs true. But like, yeah recognize like this is how other people live their life and um a lot of the ideals of meditation and compassion and gaining wisdom and living in the middle way i think those are things that everyone can learn from well thank you for listening to this podcast and um hope you mr sixa had a great thanksgiving (laughs) Bye. bye